judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Remember those days? Oh, think about those judges, the 12 judges that we studied, and many of them as time went, getting worse and worse, more corrupt, and people were living idolatrous lives. Um, not necessarily saying they don't have anything to do with the God of Israel, but simply adding the world and the world's culture and the loves of the world with worship of God. And so how refreshing it is to think like little John the Apostle, maybe a 16-year-old, when he is directed by John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Wow, Jesus, 30 years old, he's got five in the book of John, early disciples, all young teenagers, probably maybe early 20s, and they are set now on following the master, going where he goes, eating where he eats, sleeping next to him around a campfire or in a various whatever accommodations they might find, and going place to place as eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Can you imagine being... John 2, in Cana, watching Jesus turn water into wine. And, and you know, this is water. This is water in these, these um, jugs, these purification jars. And now they're saying it's wine, and it is the best-tasting grape juice, the freshest, the, like, like, just like the grape was pressed, the best of the grapes. Oh, it would have been just phenomenal. And then the second miracle... The nobleman's son, when you're standing there and the nobleman is, is pleading with Jesus, begging him, please heal my son. And Jesus simply says, your son is healed. Go about your business. And the nobleman waits a whole day before going back home. Although his son was ready to die, he just trusted the word of the Lord. What would John be thinking? Who is this that we're walking with? In flesh and blood, whose sandals are dirty, who gets tired when we get tired, sitting at a well in Sychar, Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman. That is taboo. That is not politically correct. And yet here is Jesus engaging the woman in conversation, not about dead, stale water in a well, but the living water of faith in Jesus Christ that bubbles up in our soul that leads to a fountain of everlasting life. And then she catches it, and then you have a, a whole onslaught of Sumerians coming out to meet Jesus. And for two days, they're trusting him and many, many are saved. And then this morning, this man, when they're walking in the pools of Bethesda, the northeast section of Jerusalem, full of sick and blind and lame individuals, and Jesus picks a man who has been lame for 38 years. His legs just spindly little... No muscle, bony things. You know, he had never put any weight on them for 38 years. Nothing but complaining and bitterness out of this man from what we can tell in the scriptures. And Jesus simply says, do you want to be made well? And the man blames it on other people. Sir, I have no man to help me. For when the waters are stirred, no one helps me into the water. And somebody else slips in first and I have no chance of healing. And Jesus says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. And that man instantly... The flesh on those leg bones just, boom, you know, to grow muscles like that, right? Wow. And, and the sinews and the tendons and blood circulation, perfect. Perfectly whole. What a miracle. John, what's John thinking as an 18-year-old now, about a year after the ministry began? He, is, he knows this is the Son of God himself. It's exciting. Within two years now, John will be at the foot of the cross watching the miracle worker and the authoritative teacher 
crucified. Can you imagine? The one who could heal and restore the lame, the blind, even the dead. Now cloaked in darkness because the sun is not shining. And the agony of his voice as he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Must have pierced John's ears. And he takes mother, he takes Mary, Jesus' mother, home, and the body is wrapped and laid in the tomb. And then on that first Sunday morning, John goes in, he sees the grave clothes, and he believes. Wow. So we have an eyewitness account of what's going on. And Paul is, or John is writing this, John is writing this that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I know you know that. But do you live like you know that? If he is the Son of God, and he is, by his own declaration and by our own understanding and belief, then what should our relationship be to the Son of God who has created all things and then also died on the cross for us? How much of us does he deserve? Partial? A little bit? A little here, a little there? Or all of us? I bet John is just passionately writing this out saying, believers in the future, they need to read this and follow Jesus. They need to follow him with heart, soul, and mind, all of our strength, that in all things Christ might be have the preeminence. And that is the goal. So we have there, in, we're in John chapter 5, so if you take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5 with me. We looked at the miracle this morning of the man who, was lay, who lay uh, lame for 38 years. Jesus has restored him. He was found in the temple later on that day, and he pointed out Jesus to the, Jew, to the Jewish leaders. And as a result of this man carrying his bed on the Saturday, on Sabbath, they want to kill Jesus. In light of the miracle, they don't even care. They don't care about sound legs and healthy bodies. Somebody broke their traditions. And so Jesus says, Do you not know that until now my Father has been working? God the Father never gets a Saturday off. You know that, right? He works day and night, day and night, day and night, 24-7. He never takes a break. If God the Father takes a break, we all fall into chaos. Every atom will fall apart. The oceans will blow up with hydrogen and oxygen exploding. Oh, who knows what will happen to the land masses. My body would completely explode. All the atoms fall apart. It would be ugly. And, but see, he, do, he doesn't get a break. God the Father does not take a day off. And all the Jewish people acknowledge that. So as we saw this morning, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, Until now my Father has been working, and I am working with him. Meaning, Jesus is equal with God the Father, and he has a right to work on the Sabbath. And whatever Jesus commands, healing a person, whatever, Jesus can do, because he is fully God. Then we saw his power and ability. Whatever God the Father does, Jesus says, I do in the exact same manner. Whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. They are equal in power, competency, and ability. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. It's not like whatever the Father says for the Son to do, the Son does. That's different. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. They are one God, co-equal persons. They are equal God. Isn't that amazing? This is true. And then finally, we saw this morning that all judgment has been handed over to Jesus Christ. He has all authority, just like God the Father has all authority. So Jesus truly is 
the Son of God. He is deity by his nature, by his power and ability, and by his authority. And so it says here at the end of our text that we looked at, verse 23, look at uh, John 5, 23 with me, that all should honor the Son, this is the goal, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And my question I left you with this morning is, does your life honor the Son? Does your attitude honor the Son? Do your words, does your speech betray you? Do... um, is, is the grace and forgiveness welling up in you representative of the Son? Is the Son pleased with your life? And so now we are going to look tonight, after we pray, at three actions that Jesus says he has. He is going to do three actions by which only God can do those. And so Jesus is saying clearly, without mistake, I am fully God. And then he's going to give us four witnesses. How many witnesses do you need in the Old Testament? Two or three, but two minimum. Two or three, Deuteronomy 17, 6 says. So Jesus is not only going to give us two witnesses, he's going to double it. He's going to give us four. Reliable witnesses that he is God. Fully God, fully man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this exciting text. Now that we've had a review and we can almost picture John listening in on Jesus with the the scribes and Pharisees as they question and badger and argue, and Jesus simply responds with truth after truth after truth. He is God who has come in the flesh to pay for our sins and to rise from the dead. Father, we, we owe everything to Jesus Christ. Our lives by creation are his our souls are by redemption are his. There is nothing that we have that we, is our own. May everything we do, wherever we go, whatever we say, be worthy of the Son of God. Thank you for saving us, keeping us, bringing us into your family with a new nature and the Holy Spirit's power to Jesus Christ. Alone be glory and power and honor forever and forever. Amen. So listen to this. So we're looking here at John chapter 5, verse 24. Now Jesus says another one of these, amen, amen. Uh, assuredly, assuredly, maybe in the truly, truly version you might have, or amen, amen. Do you know that amen in the Hebrew is amet? It's not amen, it's amet. It ends with T. A is the first letter of the alphabet of the Hebrew. Uh, M is in the middle, and T is the very last letter. So amen means truth from beginning to end, without a doubt. There's no contradiction, no compromise. Amen means from beginning, middle to end, it is 100% accurate. And so here he says, most assuredly, listen, verse 24 is probably the key verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, here's Jesus' words, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has presently everlasting life. So the key to everlasting life is to believe. By the way, if you're believing in the Father who sent Jesus, you're believing in Jesus because Jesus is testifying of the Father. So this is, you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone and you currently have, right at this moment, everlasting life. It's not something you get in the future. You get it and you have it at the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. And look at the benefit. You shall not come into judgment No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no record of wrong, no bringing up of a sin someday in heaven when God, after a million years, says, oh, I think it's about time to uncover some of Weta's sins. And then Brian's sins, not Jerry's. But he's going to be up. He will never, ever, ever mention one of my sins or any believer's sins for all eternity. Ever. Nothing will ever come against my account. Is that not incredible? 
Would that not make you say, this, this one Jesus is worthy of all praise, all honor, my whole life. If, if I do nothing else for myself the rest of my existence, it would be only the least bit of, of being able to say, you are worthy, Father, uh, Jesus. You are worthy, Father. Right? So you have passed from death into everlasting life, and you shall never come into judgment, it says, but has passed from death into life, spiritual death into spiritual life. Then verse 25, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the spiritually dead being made spiritually alive. Jesus is saying to the whole crowd, the hour is coming, but now is, because the Messiah is on the scene. The Savior of the world is not been crucified yet, but standing in front of you. And he says this, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead, those who are spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God. They will hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and by faith in him alone, you are given a new nature, the Holy Spirit, and everlasting life. And those who are dead and, and believe and hear that will live. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. What's the first act that Jesus demonstrates his deity in this text? Number one in your outline, all life is in his hands. That is a characteristic of only God. All life is in his hands. Every baby who has ever been born or ever will be born is because of Jesus Christ. He is the author and the giver of every single life, which makes abortion absolutely horrifying. We are intervening and taking away a life, and I don't care, I mean, I do care. How, how the pregnancy happened matters, of course, but even if it happened in a wrong manner, that life is still life. You cannot deny that the conception of a baby in a mother's womb is life from that moment. And so Jesus not only gives all physical life, all, all eternal life is found in Jesus Christ alone. So if you want eternal life, where do you have to go? Only to Jesus. He is the only giver of eternal life. Interesting, this word life, over and over and over in the, in the book of John. You know what we find in John 6? Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And then he says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world, and I am the light that gives light to all in the world. Again, he mentions life regarding his light in John 8. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the door to abundant life. He says it over and over. You want life? You go to the sun, right? You want a Pepsi? Go to the quick trip. You want life? You go to the Son, Jesus Christ. He says in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life, and if he gives his life, he can take it up again. Why? Because Jesus is life. Life, he is, ex- he is preexistent. From the very beginning, all life has resided in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the Father, of course, because the two are one flat. The two are one. One God manifest in three persons. In John 11, Jesus tells a grieving Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, when the disciples are finding out that they cannot follow Jesus, he's going to the cross, but they don't know that. 
they think he's just taken a side trip, and they can't go, and they are grieved. Jesus says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You have believed in God, believe also in me. But then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. In John chapter 15, while he's walking over to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's all sorts of vineyards and vines stretching across, he says, I am the true vine, and any branch in me has life. Life. It's a key word in the Gospel of John. Why? Because you and I are spiritually, we're born spiritually dead, and we need life. And Jesus is telling the whole crowd, if you want life, you must come through me. I am God, and only God can give life, and that is me. And as you know, beginning in John chapter 5, there is such opposition against Jesus that it will, it will bring him to the cross. They, will, they are already two years One year into his ministry, two years before the cross, they are plotting ways to kill the Son of God, the Prince of Glory. Let's continue on. Look at verse 27. Not only as God does he have all life in his hands, number two, all judgment is in his hands. Again, only God can do that. Only God has all judgment. He says in verse 27, For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given, the Father has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Because Jesus is fully God, the eternal pre-existent God, and fully man who will be judged for our sin, he being the mediator between God and man is the worthy judge over all creation. So Jesus has all authority, all judgment. Everybody, you know at the white, great white throne, when the mass of unsaved dead, I just, it grieves me when I think about it. Think about, I think as far as your eyes can stretch on the horizon up in the heavenlies, and it's the unsaved dead, great and small, and the one seated on the throne. What kind of throne is it? Great white throne. Pure and holy. Why is it a white throne? Pure and holy. Why is it great? Because it is all judgment coming from that throne. And as he opens up books, and the books are the record of the sin of the unsaved, they are judged according to their works. And then, can you picture this? Jesus, who has done everything to make a way to the Father for you and I, and the whole world, he takes death and Hades, all the unsaved dead of the ages from Adam and Eve's unsaved children that died until the last one. And he he picks that compartment up and then he he just tosses it into a lake of fire. And all all that mankind with wicked angels and the devil himself, the false prophet and the beast, just submerged in a fiery, a fiery, 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 eternal torment. Is the, just, is the judgment right? It is. Why? Because we have rebelled against him and he has done everything necessary for us to be saved. We cannot do one thing to be saved. He has done it all 
All, all. So all judgment is in his hands. He is full deity and full, full hum- humanity. Anybody who reads verse 27 and says Jesus is not God has no brain. I'm serious. They have not read the scriptures. But if Jesus has all authority, only God has all authority, Jesus is God. So he's eternal God because all life is in his hands. Jesus is eternal God because all judgment is in his hands. But look at the last one. All resurrection is in his hands. Let's look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, look at the A-L-L, all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Oh, I'd like to be at sunrise on that day. You know, bodies just coming right out of the ground. Well, I'm sure there's been burials every place under the church. I mean, this church has only been here since 1904. Who knows who's buried underneath us? Gross, weird, but but over 6,000 years, I'm sure somebody's died right here and their dust is underneath us. They're going to come right through and, and be raised up in a physical body. Why? Because all Jesus has to do is say, Arise! And every single person will rise from the dead. No exceptions. None. He's not going to miss one. But we're not all going the same place. He explains that. Look at this. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good. Now, he's not teaching a work salvation. Doing good is believing the the Son of God, placing your faith in the Son of God. To those who have done good, they have placed their faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished for them. To the resurrection of life, see the word life again? And to those who have done evil, meaning they have rejected the Son of God, the giver of life. They have rejected the offer of salvation provided in Jesus alone. They are going to be raised up to the resurrection of condemnation. Wow. All right. Just based on those short verses, Jesus is God. No doubt about it. He's got, he, is, he is one with the Father in nature, power and ability, and authority. All life is in Jesus' hands. All judgment is in Jesus' hand, and all resurrection. You can't, that, you know, that's only God, right? Only God can do that. But let's move on. Verse 30. Now he gives us eight first-person singulars, which now he begins to shift. Instead of calling himself son of man in the third person, he's talking about himself particularly. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He is right on with the mission of the Father. And whatever the Father says, the Son agrees and does. There's complete unity. There's no arguing and bickering. Ah, is that real faith? Is that not real? Should they come? No. It's just simply the Father and the Son agree. You have faith in Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. You reject him. You perish for all eternity. And the Father and Son are on the same page. Jesus is not acting independently from the Father. Now he's going to give us four witnesses. And as I mentioned, that's double what was required in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. Verse 31, Jesus says this, looking on the back page of your outline, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. It doesn't mean that he's not God. He's simply saying, according to your rule, the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy, I have to have two witnesses at the minimum, or three, but two required to to verify or to testify in a court scene. And this is a This is a mock court trial. Jesus is under trial right now. The scribes and Pharisees have put him under the spotlight. And so Jesus is saying, if I have no other witnesses, don't believe me. 
because I don't have any other witnesses. But guess what? I've got four witnesses. Here they are. Witness number one, John the Baptist. He's going to talk about the Father briefly in verse 32. There is another. By the way, this word another is a great word in the Greek. It means another of the same kind. Jesus is witnessed to himself, to everybody that he's God, but there is another of the same kind as Jesus. Hey, who else is of the same nature as Jesus? The Father, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. The Father and the Son both agree. Like, in other words, my dad is here. Like, my dad and I can say that I'm a great uh, race car driver. Um, although, um, you know, our testimony, you know, that is not the truth because I don't agree, but he doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Here, the Father and the Son both agree in the testimony of who Jesus is. They're not wondering, is it this, is it that? They're both saying the exact same thing. My son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh is still, he is fully God. And he must be honored as God. So there's a great testimony here of the Father. We'll get to the Father in just a minute in a later text. Listen to verse 33. Here's John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. What does he want from these leaders? He wants their salvation. He wants them to trust him for eternal life. So he's saying, John the Baptist on the muddy river, um, Jordan, the muddy banks of the Jordan River, he knew I was the son of God. Because Why? Because when Jesus was being baptized by John, they're both up in the waist-deep water, Jesus goes under the water, the heavens break open, a dove comes down, in the, that's the Holy Spirit, and then a voice from heaven says what? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist hears it, so he is a witness. So Jesus says, I've got my first witness. John the Baptist saw the dove. He heard my father's voice. He knows I am God sent to earth in flesh. And then he goes on. Here's a tragic verse. Verse 35. He was the burning and shining lamp. Notice, he wasn't the light. He was simply a reflection of the light. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. What was John the Baptist's message? The king is coming. The king is on the scene. The king is one of these people on the riverbank. And everybody rejoiced to know the king is coming. The king is coming. But when they found out it was Jesus, and he didn't raise a physical army, and he didn't start to fight the Romans and relieve the tax burdens... They thought, we don't want him. We want somebody that'll really, we want somebody that'll give us free health care, free college, free everything. We don't want Jesus. And so they liked John the Baptist at first, and then they flipped on him and said, nope, John, sorry, but we don't like the guy you chose. It's too bad because a lot of people treat Jesus the same way. Listen, I beg you, I beg you, beg you, listen to me if you listen to anything tonight. Stay faithful to Jesus Christ until your last breath. Do not walk away. Do not grow complacent. Do not grow bitter. But, but pursue him. Seek him with all your heart. And, and let your last breath be faithful to Jesus Christ. Have no regrets on your deathbed. I now for 25 years, 20 years as a pastor, and five before that, have been at many, 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 many deathbeds. And, um, and it's so hard when somebody says, Pastor, I have regrets. I should have served and I didn't. I should, I, should have, I should have just loved the Lord more and spent more time doing the things that the Lord would have me to do instead of pursuing my own agenda. And, and, and they're like, it's too late. And what do I say? 
Yeah, you're right. And usually, without exception, they say, tell my family, don't waste their life. So here, they turn from John. They were willing for a short time to follow him, but once they didn't like the message or the, or the actual king, then they, they left him. So verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's. Okay, here's witness number two. It's a greater witness than just John the Baptist because John's just a fallible man, right? Here's the second witness, verse 36, for the works which the Father has given me to finish... The very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. The second witness are the very works of Jesus. Jesus' works. But then he says, which the Father has given me to finish. So, okay, I, I can't spend a long time on this because of our time tonight, but listen, tell me if this makes sense. I don't believe the works Jesus is speaking about are the miracles. Like walking on the water, um, the feeding the 5,000, healing the blind. I don't think those are the works that, Jesus, that the Father is asking Jesus to finish that proves his deity. Why? Did Elijah do miracles? All right, but he wasn't God. Did Moses do miracles? Yeah, but he wasn't God. There has got to be something that distinguishes Jesus' works from other miracle workers. Did Paul do miracles? Yes. Did Peter? Yes. So you know what I think it is? And we don't have time to go there, but look it up. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel 9, 24 and 25 says, When the Messiah comes, he will make an end of sins. He will finish that transgression. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. And he will sit on the throne as the Hanasi in the Hebrew. It means, he, literally, Hanasi means the president. He's going to sit on the throne as the president of the world, the king, the ruler. It's awesome. I think that's, that is the greater works Jesus is going to do that every knee will bow and say, whoa, Jesus is the one. He finished the transgression. He sealed up all prophecy. He sat on the throne. I think those are the greater works that the Father sent Jesus to finish. Hasn't happened yet because we're in the in-between time, but it's coming. But look at the next witness because we've got to move on. The next witness is verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. I believe that he testified of, the, of Jesus at the baptism. When, Jesus, when God the Father cried out from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What a testimony. So the Father is witness. We've got John the Baptist. He's pretty credible. We definitely have Jesus' works, the fact that he is the ultimate king, and he will... Um, finish up all the issues of sin and righteousness and the kingdom and the, and the throne. But then also God the Father saying, this is my son. There's no another. This is the unique one. And then let's move on. About the Father, Jesus says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Since they had already re rejected Jesus Christ in their hearts, there was no room for the Father to speak to them. So they rejected the Father's testimony. They rejected John's testimony. They don't believe the works of Jesus. And they've rejected the Father. So out of the four witnesses, they've already rejected three. They've got one more witness that is a huge case against them. It is the Scriptures. So the fourth witness to Jesus' deity not only did John the Baptist testify to the deity of Jesus, Jesus' own works do, and the Father does, but the scriptures say Jesus is fully God. And this is found here in verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. 
And these, these scriptures, are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures, every verse, every text, points ultimately to Jesus Christ. You take the Old Testament, it's not a collection of just clever stories written for moral truths, although they have moral truths. Every every page of this Old Testament screams, Jesus Christ is God, who is coming in the flesh, who will die and rise from the dead. You have not searched the scriptures enough until you have found Jesus in the text. He is all of scripture. He goes on to explain this. Verse 41, I do not receive honor from men, meaning I'm not seeking to please men with either his message or his manner. But verse 42, but I know you. (laughs) He turns the tables. I know you, Pharisees and scribes, that you do not have the love of God in you. You know what they had? They didn't have the love of God. They had the love of self. They loved everybody to see how religious they were, how great they were. They loved the name, the name recognition. Everybody saying, well, there's a good guy. Oh, there goes Nicodemus. Wow, he's got to be the best moral man in the world. They loved that type of thing. But they did not love God. There was no love of God in their heart. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? The one true God shows up and they refuse to believe him. But any plethora of false gods, and they quickly grab on and follow those and receive those. How sinful the heart of man. How can you believe, verse 44 says, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? They were so busy man-pleasing and seeking self-affirmation. They didn't care whether God approved of them or not. Verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. Interesting twist, isn't it? Jesus says, hey, you guys, don't worry. I'm not going to accuse you to the Father. There's somebody else who will accuse you. I don't need to. Somebody else is going to accuse you. Do you know who it is? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. There there again is the scriptures. It's the scriptures of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Numbers in Deuteronomy. The five books of Moses, the law. Jesus says, if you believed the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? People will be judged standing in front of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. That is how precious this is. For the unsaved, all Jesus has to do is say, this testifies as to who I am and what I did for you, and you refuse to believe it. Romans 10? How could anybody believe this unless what? Unless somebody shares the message with them. Who's going to share the message with them? You and I. And how can we, how can we deliver the message unless we've been sent? Have we been, are we sent ones? John 17, Jesus says, As I have been sent to the world, so I send you into the world. We are sent ones. 
Because nobody can get saved until they hear the gospel, which is the word of God. So that's our responsibility. So Jesus says, I have four witnesses. John the Baptist, he's a credible witness, but you, you rejected him. My own father spoke from heaven and you rejected him. My own works testify as to who I am and you've rejected me. And now you have the scriptures and your heart is so hard you won't even listen to me through the scriptures. Because had you listened to me, you would have believed that Moses said, I am the one. Hmm. Last point on a Sunday night here. Could it ever be possible that you and I could become pharisaical? Where we read the word of God, but it just doesn't penetrate a hard heart? The Bible says it's possible for a believer to fall into hardness of heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10. Look it up. Hebrews 3.10. It is possible for a believer to depart from the living faith, to live a life of sinfulness and ungodliness. Still saved, eternally secure, but what a loss of rewards in the future, right? Loss of rewards. And right now, we don't think it'd be, as long as I'm going to heaven, I'm, it's, it's great with me. No. Don't you want to be able to go to heaven and be able to say, Jesus, I want you to get even more and more glory for what you could do with a wretched piece of clay on earth, a broken pot. Wow. Isn't this great? I just love this book. Um, So a few things. Honor the Father. Lead lives of holiness. This man who was paralyzed after 38 years of being, uh, who was paralyzed for 38 and then was healed, Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest what comes upon you next be far worse than what you endured for 38 years. There is something far worse than missing some pleasure of life. Missing a reward in the future. It's a big deal. For the unsaved, missing eternal life. It's a big, big issue. So you and I, let's, let's, not by our own strength and power, but through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and the Word of God as our source of strength, the Holy Spirit, the power that resides in us, let's just choose to live according to God's word. Live lives that are representative of our Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, and let's follow him. Follow, follow him means to um, act like him, think like him, talk like him, walk like him. And again, we all fall short, and I fall extremely short. But what a challenge. What a challenge to turn every word into a grace-filled word, every attitude submit, submission in submission to the Father, um, what a joy, right? What a joy. And so let's, let's think about that. Believe Jesus and follow him with the whole heart, wherever he takes you. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Just follow. Great. Now it's Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, prepare yourself for John 6. I'll be preaching in the morning the feeding of the 5,000, and then when Jesus walks in the water, it's going to be just one little neat capsule. And then Wyatt, the week after, I'll be at the Creation Museum in the Ark Encounter with the group from our church. Then Wyatt's going to preach on the rest of chapter 6. So he's going to keep the flow going. And then while I'm in Haiti, Charlie Haberman is going to preach on Father's Day because I'll be gone two Sundays in June with all the different ministries. And so it'll be kind of exciting. You'll, uh, be, I think it'll be great. And then on next Sunday night, Vic Lund has prepared... Uh, 
um, teaching on creation. He'll be preaching on God's creation and, and the incredible glory of God's creation. So some really great things coming up. I have a Proctor High School graduation next Sunday night, so I'll be gone. But um, boy, praise the Lord for you being here. And thank Jesus for his word. Believe his word. It reveals Jesus. Believe his word. Thank you, Father, for our time tonight. It's just exciting to be looking at Jesus and listening, just eavesdropping on a conversation where he says over and over, he is God in human flesh. Wow, by nature, authority, by judgment, he has all life in his hands. He has all judgment in his hands. He has all resurrection in his hands. And he has evidence upon evidence whether it's John the Baptist, you, Father, have testified. Jesus' own works have testified that he is the Savior of the world. And, of course, the Word of God speaks clearly and loudly that Jesus is God in flesh, the Savior of the world who loves us and gave himself for us. I pray everyone here has a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith alone, not by works of the law, not by their own goodness, not by anything they can do, Because at that point, they disqualify and nullify what Jesus has done for them. And so I pray that they would understand the message is all of Christ and none of us. Grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you for the glory of Christ in our lives. Strengthen and guard and protect our church throughout this week. And may may much for eternity, eternity be accomplished through these godly men and women. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you tonight.